Disrupting the financial sector as we know it, this is Industry Focus. Hello, hello. Happy Monday, everyone. I'm Christine Hargis, and this is Industry Focus Financials Edition. I'm joined today by John Maxfield, the Motley Fool's Senior Banking Specialist, calling in from Portland, Oregon. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Christine. I appreciate it. Glad to have you here. So, first off, for any of our listeners out there who just graduated or are about to, congratulations, and welcome to the quote-unquote real world. The first quarter of 2015 marked a milestone for the workforce, as it was the first time that millennials passed Generation Xers. Uh, Meanwhile, so millennials are your 18 to 34-year-olds as of 2015, and Gen X is defined as ages 35 to 50. So we've officially got more millennials than Gen Xers. And for reference, uh, the millennials actually passed the baby boomers, which that's your age 51 to 69 in terms of workforce representation, last year. So they're the biggest out there, and we've got a whole new class of young people joining that. And if this generation is known for anything... It's technology and disruption. We've seen it in content distribution, a la Netflix, uh, retail through Amazon, and now we're seeing it in the world of finance. So we've got a, a couple of different categories that we wanted to dig into today to introduce you guys to all the different areas of uh, quote-unquote fintech um, and what exactly to, to look for in terms of up-and-coming technologies and apps and how exactly we can anticipate this world changing. And it is changing rapidly. So let's dig right in. Uh, let's say first category that we want to dig into would be your lending services. John, I'm going to hand this off to you to talk a little bit about different disruptors in the, the field of lending services. Sure. So, so traditionally, the way this worked is that if you needed a loan, you needed capital to either you know buy a house, buy a car, you know whatever it is, or start a business. You'd have to go to your bank, um, then you'd go through that arduous process, um, getting your credit check, going through your income statement, your balance sheet, and all those various things. Then, if everything worked out, you'd get a loan, a few weeks, maybe a month, a couple months, um, move on down the road. Well, now what these companies are doing, these are companies like um, Funding Circle, Lending Club, those are, those are two of the, the big players in the industry. They are taking the middleman, so to speak, out of the equation, and they're just connecting uh, investors, institutional investors, individual investors, with people who need to borrow money. So let's say, Christine, that you needed a loan to buy, I don't know, let's say you wanted to buy uh, a BMW. You you really want to go all out and and impress your friend. You want to buy a BMW, you need, uh, let's say, $50,000 to do that. Um, Well, you could go on to, um, say, Lending Club's website and uh, request a loan for $50,000. And then individuals like me, let's say I had excess, excess money, I could then fund that loan and then you would pay me interest rates as opposed to you going through a bank. And so would you then be the one determining that interest rate? So I wouldn't be the one determining that interest rate. Lending Club, Funding Circle, they do all the work behind that, but they would just present the opportunity, present the interest rate, and then I, w- I would agree whether or not um, I-, I believe that was a good investment. So we've got uh, different ways of making personal loans. There's also now alternatives to banks for small business loans. You've got companies like On Deck. And I actually just saw this morning, digging into my research for this episode for you guys, uh, Goldman Sachs Research says that in January of 2015, alternative lenders generated 62% of all small business loans. Wow, I did not know that. That that is an incredible statistic. And, and one of the things that would be interesting to see is, is what they 
of course, include in the category of alternative lenders. My guess, by the sound of that statistic, is that it goes beyond just these kind of these these younger startup uh, fintech, so to speak, companies. Um, but l- make no mistake about it, this is th- th- this is a very disruptive technology, um, and it is something that is picking up a lot of steam. Like if you look at Lending Club, the, you have two people on their board. You have John Mack, who is the former CEO, chairman and CEO of Morgan Stanley. I mean, like he, this this guy knows what he's doing in the financial industry. And you also have Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, former chairman of the Economic Council of Economic Advisors. So you have a lot of people who come from finance who believe deeply in these technologies. Exactly. So the next category that I think we should touch on will be banking services. Uh, so we had first off was our lending services, and now let's talk a little bit about banking services. What are the, the some of the names that are disrupting in here? So the big name in in the banking services space, and just, just to be clear, what we're talking about with banking services, these are fintech companies that provide uh, debit accounts, effectively, at this point. They haven't really expanded much beyond that. Um, but so it's, it's your personal checking account with, 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 that you can access with a debit card. So your biggest and most advanced player in this space right now is Simple, which was purchased last year by BBVA, which is a Spanish banking conglomerate. Um, you also have Move-In and Digit. What these companies do is not only do they provide the actual personal checking account, but they provide a really sleek interface, user interface, that you can use on your mobile phone that is designed not just to show you what your account balance is and your transaction history, but to actually help you make better decisions in your financial life. I like to think about it, it's, it's like the financial equivalent of a Fitbit or a step tracker, where a company like MoveIn is coming in and they track your spending and they will show you on your phone each time you make a purchase where your spending is at on a daily basis relative to your average day and on a monthly basis relative to your average month. So it just basically helps you um, keep your financial life in order. I love that reference as an avid Fitbit wearer. (laughs) So I'm also going to throw a couple more out there just because there are things that I could pull up on my phone right now that I personally use. Uh, Mint is a good way of of tracking your different expenditures. And then uh, there's also Venmo, which is something that I personally use to pay my rent. It's a, a money transfer system. So that's another super convenient one. So, uh, so third category uh, that we want to talk about for these uh, different types of fintech disruptors would be your robo-advisors, your uh, people that are disrupting the, the traditional world of financial advisors where you go in and you talk to somebody, you have this relationship, you go out golfing, you take care of their dog. They, hopefully they take care of your dog, actually. <laughs> but anyway, so now you have technology that's coming in and trying to displace this traditional advisor relationship. Yeah, and this is this is something that that we've talked you know a, a, about a lot in the past is is that the behavioral things that impact people's investment decisions and what these companies are doing they're doing the same thing that that the the fintech companies and banking are doing they're trying to provide services and solutions to financial issues in your life and in this case in the context of investing you have companies like Betterment who are coming in and saying look we know that investors, just as a general rule, and this is everybody, this is me, this is Christine, this is, this is everybody, with the exception of maybe like Warren Buffett and your Charlie Mungers, um, we make decisions based on emotions and based, up, based upon um, kind of impulses that in the investment world do not produce maximum returns. So Betterment is coming in. They are automating that whole process to make it not only easier for you, but to generate better returns. And basically all you do it's just a brokerage company, but you access it either online or through your app. You put the money in there, 
um, you, you, you lay out a couple of different scenarios, you know, what you're saving for, um, how much you want to spend at the point that you get there, if it's, say, retirement. And then it takes those things in consideration and just spits out a, a portfolio that you should be following. And then it just updates that uh, kind of as you go along. And it's all algorithm-based. It totally takes the human emotion out of there. That's right. And that is an extremely important thing when it comes to investing. If, if there's anything that we've learned over the past, I don't know, decade from um, what's going on in behavioral, behavioral finance and behavioral economics, it is that we have a tendency to buy high and sell low. And that's all because of the fact that when everybody else is greedy, we get greedy and buy. And when everybody else is fearful, we get fearful and sell. And that translates into absolutely horrible investment returns. And people are starting to pick up on this concept, too. So another big name uh, in this space is Wealthfront. So between Betterment and Wealthfront, they have $3 billion in assets under management. So that's, that's pretty substantial. Um, interestingly, Wealthfront actually is just a manager and doesn't actually hold the money itself. Uh, Apex Clearing Corporation actually holds the portfolio. And this brings up an interesting point where a lot of these companies are not necessarily displacing banks themselves, they still actually need to rely on a traditional bank. And they're, they're sort of building on top of the banks to try to improve their services. Yeah. Well, the, one, the way that one of the executives put it to me, he said, look, these are user interfaces. A lot of these are user interfaces that are built on top of a banking or a brokerage chassis, um, which brings up a whole new assortment of questions. Because you have to wonder, look, if you're just adding on top of banking services or you're adding on top of brokerage services, and not all the companies do that. I mean, some of them, like Betterment, it's both a brokerage and the user interface. But but with these other ones, you have to wonder, are those added expenses going to make this unprofitable enough that that some of these will, at the end of the day, be Mm non-starters? So... All right. I will transition to our last category here. So that is your payment people. John, what do we mean by that? So in the payment space, so traditionally when we think about payment space, we're talking about your, your visas, your MasterCard, your American Expresses. Basically, the people who, the companies that are handling, when I go to a store and I make a payment with my credit card, they're the ones acting as a liaison between me, my bank, and the retailer. Right? They're getting that data from one place to another. They're guaranteeing those transactions. They're acting as a clearinghouse, things like that. Well, we've seen a lot of disruption in the, in the payment space. Square is probably the, the, the leading company that, you can, that, you know, that comes to the forefront of your mind. So this is a company that, that they just provide basically an app and then the little hardware device that retailers, particularly small retailers, can attach to either an iPhone or an iPad or some other type of mobile technology and then run your credit card, and then that will handle the whole transaction bypassing Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, although they use kind of this, the same underlying infrastructure. And so this is really important. And then you also have your Bitcoin and that whole thing, which I suspect um, you'll talk about here in a little bit because I know it's, it's of interest to you. But, but payment space is really, really vulnerable to disruption because the amount of money that these companies are making in the interim um, your visas and your MasterCard, your American Expresses, is absolutely enormous. So you're going to have um, some of these startups come in and want a piece of that, and, and we're seeing that with companies like Square and people who are getting in on the Bitcoin revolution. Yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I, I think this, of all the spaces, is poised for the most significant 
disruption. I want to go back to Square really quick because one interesting thing about them that I want to talk about is their Square Capital arm, where they actually also offer cash advances to small businesses. So these are different than your traditional loans because they're not as heavily regulated. They're kind of riskier um, and thus more potentially expensive for the recipient. But these guys advanced $25 million in April. So the repayment of these cash advances is the part that I think is the most interesting portion of this story because it comes directly out of a percentage of the future sales that these businesses make using Square. And Square itself says that it will take more money out of the business if the business is doing well and less if the business is struggling. So super interesting model right there. And, and, and let's just, let me just make one quick point about these lenders and lending clubs. So these are really innovative approaches. There's no question about that. And this is the direction the financial services is going. However, the one thing you have to keep in mind is that you never know how well a lending portfolio is going to perform until you have a downturn in the credit markets like we had um, you know, back in the early 90s, like we had during the financial crisis, although we're not going to have one as deep as the financial crisis, hopefully, for many, many, many decades. Um, but it's, that is when you actually know how well these lenders are going to perform over the long run. So, so it's kind of a wait and see for the time being, but certainly this is, this is an area, lending in particular, that is, I, I can't help but think is going to take off. Mm-hmm. And so along those lines, you also had mentioned Bitcoin. And there's this big question out there. Is Bitcoin going to be the next big thing? Is it going to disrupt traditional currency and you know, blow credit cards out of the water? And this is something that I've given a lot of thought to. And I do think that we're going to see a digital currency have a much larger role than it does currently. But I don't think it's going to be Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin itself structurally couldn't handle the volume of transactions that traditional credit cards see. But part of me does suspect that there's going to be a better version of Bitcoin that will come in and be truly, truly disruptive. And that kind of brings me back to the point of this episode, which is what which of these technologies actually stands to be totally disruptive the way that Amazon was to retail? John, what do you think of, of any of the ones that we've talked about or maybe one that we haven't talked about yet? What do you see as having the biggest potential for disruption? Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, I think it's payments. And, and I say that because that is a wholly new concept, a whole, not, not a wholly new concept, but a totally new approach to the concept with, with, with Bitcoin as opposed to, say, your Visas and your American Expresses. Totally, totally different. And, and that's the type of thing that transforms an industry. You know, when you look at, at, at your banking providers in the fintech industry, again, these are they're providing customer experiences built on top of a chassis. In the same case with some of these brokerages. So it's not, it's, those are more kind of variations on a theme, whereas once you see that dominant player, whoever that's going to be in the payment space um, or the digital currency space, and those are kind of one and the same, um, that is going to be the one that, that is truly disruptive, at least in my opinion. Yeah, so you're implying that there's going to be a huge network effect and maybe some distinct advantage for that first mover. I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that would be the case. You know, it's interesting. We haven't seen the network effects yet around Bitcoin being the first mover. But I think that once somebody, to the point you made a little bit earlier, once somebody figures out how to um, scale that up to a sufficient size that it can handle the volume of transactions that are necessary to handle on a global basis or even on a, on a, on a domestic basis, um, whoever figures that out, um, they will have... You know, proverbial, proverbially, the key to the key to the kingdom. 
Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out for. And it'll be really interesting to check back in maybe a year or so and see if any of these 2015 graduates have come up with that key. But for now, I guess we're kind of just left speculating, you know, keeping tabs on what's out there, uh, downloading some of these apps and testing them ourselves, seeing what it is that could be the next big thing. So for that, uh, thank you so much, John, for uh, giving us all these different names and, and insights into what's going on in the fintech sphere. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to us, as always. And until next time, have a great week, everyone. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.